0: Okay, that's the Maccabean War. Uh, I think told very effectively in that special highlighting <clears throat> highlighting the features that are associated uh, with, with its execution and the role of the Maccabean family. The Maccabees were so successful in this that there were introduced all kinds of innovations as a result of their um, as a result of their efforts. And uh, this, these innovations will bring another shock um, to Israel. The Maccabean revolt and its effects are as follows. In the first stage, they regain their religious freedom, as we just saw. Um, there are letters from Antiochus uh, the fifth that uh, that acknowledge that Israel has the right uh, to worship. You can see Antiochus the fifth. Antiochus the fourth has moved off the scene. Um, and this intensifies the nationalist identity of the Hasidine parties, the, the, those who believed in purity of the law had now successfully fought for the preservation of the law and customs of the nation. And uh, these parties will begin to split for reasons that I'm about to tell you. It, this intensifies divisions in the nation between the secularist compromisers who had committed themselves to Hellenization on the one hand and the faithful, so we've got pro and anti-Hellenists uh, in the society. In the second stage, which ran from 164 to all the way down to the rule of Simon, in, in extending to 134, um, after bouncing back and forth again with the Seleucids over this 20-year period, uh, in 142, Demetrius II acknowledges that Israel no longer needs to pay taxes to Syria and they have their economic freedom. Uh, Part of the way in which this was done was in some careful negotiating that was done between two parties fighting for the crown in Syria. And uh, Israel lent its support to the weaker ruler uh, to put him over the top, if you will, and defeat his rival. And this was the the, uh, gratitude that was expressed back to them for enabling this, helping this ruler to come to power in Syria was that no taxes were to be paid. So some pretty clever uh, political negotiations are a part of this. Um, again, the issue that we're dealing with is the preservation of Jewish values and the preservation of their homeland versus foreign rule. And when the Maccabees come to power and a, and a Jewish rule is reestablished within the land, What this does is to nurture the high hopes that perhaps now we're back on track as a nation. The nation is back in control and there's a potential for a new theocracy under the law. At least that's what the pious had hoped. Is that this new rule of Jewish rulers at the top of the hierarchy politically in the land would redirect the people back towards the law. But there was an innovation that was instituted. And that is going to become a cause of great uh, great friction. The controversial innovation was this, that in gratitude for the victory, the political victory, the office of king and high priest was now combined into one figure. No longer do we have an ironic priest and a king. Now we have a priest king. Not only did this not have the correct genealogy for the Davidic or high priestly office, but this was seen as a violation of the law in combining two offices that had been designed to be separate. The question becomes, how could they justify doing this? And the answer is, they will claim it is a temporary arrangement. Independent home rule becomes established under Simon as the Syria as the Syrians are defeated at Gezer and at the Citadel of Accra in 142 and in 141, respectively. And what's really important is is that the Romans recognize the Maccabean government. So the Romans basically say to the Syrians. Keep your hands off of Israel. Now, this combining of offices, high priest and king, angers the Essenes, the group that became the separatists who move out to Qumran. And we're going to detail that for you in just a second. They withdraw to the desert, and some of them withdraw to the desert and form a community at Qumran that becomes the location of the now-famous Dead Sea Scrolls. For them, Jonathan the Hasmonean, or Jonathan Hyrcanus's priesthood, which extended from 160 to 143, he's the ruler before Simon comes onto the scene, is wicked. Political intrigue emerges as Simon is slain by his son-in-law, named Ptolemy, in 134, and John Hyrcanus follows, who is Simon's son and the high priest, and he becomes a militaristic ruler who is as ruthless in the exercise of his power as any pagan king who had been in the land beforehand. Israel, as a result, is psychologically shaken, and she is badly divided. Here are the texts that indicate to us this move of combining priest and king. In 1st Maccabees 14:25 and 26 it says, when the people heard these things they said, how shall we thank Simon and his sons? For he and his brothers and the house of his father have stood firm, they have fought and repulsed Israel's enemies and established its freedom. And then later on in the same chapter, the people saw Simon's faithfulness and the glory that he had resolved to win for his nation and they made him their leader and high priest. Because he had done all these things, because of the justice and loyalty that he had maintained toward his nation, he sought in every way to exalt his people. How can they justify this? The Jews and their priests have resolved that Simon should be their leader and high priest forever until a trustworthy prophet should arise and that he should be governor over them and that he should take charge of the sanctuary and appoint officials over its tasks and over the country and the weapons and the strongholds and that he should take charge of the sanctuary, and that he should be obeyed by all, and that all contracts in the country should be written in his name, and that he should be clothed in purple and wear gold. So this is a temporary arrangement until a prophet shall arise, probably an allusion to a prophet like Moses. In other words, until the time of God's deliverance might come. There is a sense in some of this writing that with the reestablishment of kingship in the land, that we are moving towards the last days, the end times. And of course, the Hasmoneans think it belongs with them in the victory that God has given them and given the nation. And the Essenes, who move out to the desert, believe that it belongs with them because they have not compromised the law. So this introduces a split within Judaism, and Judaism is fracturing into a variety of expressions. This is what the Essenes thought of what was taking place with the Hasmoneans. Remember, the Essenes don't like what's taking place. Look, all of them take up a taunt against him and invent sayings about him, saying, ho, one who grows large on what is not his, how long will he burden himself down with debts? Now that's a citation, of Habakkuk 2, 5 to 6. And this text that I'm reading from is called the Pesher on Habakkuk. It's the interpretation of Habakkuk according to the Qumran community. The text continues. This refers to the wicked priest who had a reputation for reliability at the beginning of his term of service, but when he became ruler over Israel, he became proud and forsook God and betrayed the commandments for the sake of riches. He amassed by, the, by force the riches of the lawless who had rebelled against God, seizing the riches of the peoples, thus adding to the guilt of his crimes, and he committed abhorrent deeds in every defiling impurity. Not exactly an endorsement of his rule. Okay, so you can see the tension that's emerging here as a result of the choices that are being made. This is a picture of the Qumran caves out in the desert by the Dead Sea where the Essene community withdrew to live and await the deliverance of God on their behalf. That's what they were expecting because they thought they were in the end times. Now, what we have as we move towards Pompeii is a short return by the Seleucids one more time in 133 to 128 under Antiochus Seventh, But these, uh, this effort was defeated by John Hyrcanus. John Hyrcanus extended the Hasmonean rule by conquering Samaria and Idumea. This became this was the home of Antipater and the Herod's to come later. He used mercenaries. He was an expansionist king who fought with what was considered to be pagan impure armies by hiring these mercenaries. And of course, he collected taxes so he could pay for it. This is the amassing of the riches that the pashur Habakkuk was talking about. So there was a golden age hope that began at the beginning of this rule, but it is crumbling, okay? Even as Hierarchus is expanding the power of the kingship and is conquering more land, there's a sense that something's amiss. Something is not quite right with this rule of Israeli kings over the land of Israel. Hyrcanus fuses an alliance with Rome, which is important to his long-term well-being. And opponents begin to arise, namely the Pharisees, this pious group that operates in honor of the law. They have not withdrawn to the desert. They have not become separatists. They have hung in and are fighting and engaging in the culture for the law. The reason they have opposed John hyrcanus is, is that they feel like his rule is not based on the Torah. They will fall out of favor under hyrcanus They will fall back into favor with later rulers. The supporters of hyrcanus are the Sadducees the nobility and aristocracy who opt for the status quo and cooperation both with the Hasmonean rulers and ultimately as well with the Hellenists who are in the country. So you can see how opposed the Sadducees and the Pharisees are to one another. They're on opposite ends of the ideological spectrum. And Judaism is fragmenting. This shows you how much a threat Jesus is when he comes on the scene and he is able to make allies out of ideological enemies.